Does God really care about how governances and governments run here? Find out today on Principles and Policies. Hello, my name is Chuck Michaelis. I am the chairman of the Institute for Principled Policy. And today is our program for January 14th, 2023. I put those in there so you can tell when we we run a rerun of what you're listening to. And uh, I, I would not um, necessarily uh, reject programs from the past. Well, we do run reruns uh, since my broadcast partner, Barry, has been ill. And he is still undergoing treatment for cancer, so we do covet uh, prayers for him for that. Uh, but ever since uh, um, we've been doing this, so we've run reruns from time to time, and uh, we try to make them timely. There's some stuff that's so topical, uh, like on on elections, on specific elections, they don't play well. Uh, you look back and you go, is that guy running again? And then you look back and it's a show from seven or eight years ago. It's like, oh, wait, this doesn't make any sense. And you're right, it doesn't. Uh, but a lot of our stuff we try to make topical over a long period. You know, uh, like uh, hopefully you'll be able to listen to this program again in just a few months or even a few years. And it, it'll be still, still be relevant to you. Now, like I said... Uh, we are still coveting prayers for Barry. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to him coming back on the air. Uh, I prefer the banter that he and I have together. It's just much more interesting, I think. Uh, but I, I'm not telling you I'm boring. I'm just telling you I feel more comfortable. <laughs> you may not. I don't know. Um, but you can let me know at www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com, where Barry's and my uh, emails are uh, posted up there. And uh, you should, uh, you, you know, if you have a question or a comment or a rant or whatever, you can get a hold of us at that principledpolicy.com website. You can leave a comment on the this when it, this particular broadcast when it gets posted or you can um you know um leave us a question uh, again uh, we we would love to hear from you and i know barry would love to hear from you um with his uh, his issue so uh, again principledpolicy.com now that being said i have some house cleaning i have to do i have some some housekeeping um as many of you know, Barry Sheets and I are, are involved in a group called Relationships Under Construction. It's a an education about uh, sexual risk avoidance, and we do uh, teach in public schools. And, uh, of course, uh, since we're a private entity, um, that requires money. Now, do Barry and I run the thing? Well, I'm on, I'm on the board of directors. Barry is on the board of advisors. Um, that doesn't mean, uh, uh, we run the thing. We don't, uh, I am merely a cog in a machine. Uh, but that being said, we have an annual banquet to fundraise. Um, we do exist on, uh, the generous gifts of, uh, people like you. 
and we but we also exist on grants and um you know uh, um do we get some uh, taxpayer funding yes a fraction for instance of the funding that planned parenthood gets um for coming in and essentially lying in the public schools and they're able to get in almost everywhere we have to work really hard to get in the public schools the name of the group is relationships under construction and the reason i'm bringing this up is we do have a fundraiser coming uh, our annual fundraiser this year it's march the 10th march the 10th at 6 p.m um it's a the program you'll be on your way home by nine o'clock uh so it's not like you come and and you know we keep you all night and you don't get home till midnight or whenever no it's a it's a good educational program we we it's entertaining you get a meal uh, but we we do ask you for money at the end. Uh, we generally have a very good speaker. Um, and I'll give you details of that later as we get the details all worked out. I'll give you details of who's coming to the uh, Relationships Under Construction Banquet. There's always a theme, and I'll get that to you as well. Um, and we'll begin running ads for this thing here very quickly. As soon as I get copies of the ads, we'll begin embedding them in our program. Um, so you'll know all about it. Uh, but we would like you to come. And I would like you to come and sit at my table. Now, I have limited uh, uh, space at my table. But I would very much like if you would call, uh, you know, go to relationshipsunderconstruction.com. That's relationshipsunderconstruction.com. And remember, this is March the 10th. And I need to tell you where. It's at the Villa Milano. Uh, the Villa Milano is in Westerville. Um, and uh, it, it is, uh, many of you, if you've ever been to a fundraiser in the Columbus area, Westerville area, you've been to the Villa Milano. Let me tell you, the food is fantastic. So the the dinner will not be your standard rubber chicken, um, you know, blech. We're having lasagna for those of us who are not gluten-free and for those of us who are, me included, it's chicken. Now, I usually say, yeah, chicken. You know what? It's darn good. And it has been very good every year that I've eaten there. So... Um, it's a very good, nice dinner. You will get a very informative and entertaining speaker. Uh, you will find out what it is exactly that we do to uh, teach the uh, curriculum that has been developed over a number of years thanks to the input, financial, and and um, your spiritual prayers and, of course, uh, the consultations of people like you. So, we would love for you to come to our banquet. Please come to our banquet. Relationshipsunderconstruction.com Let me, let me double-check that .com. Indeed, it is relationshipsunderconstruction.com. 
Uh, all the information is not up yet. By the time you hear this, it may be up, maybe next week. We're, we're getting it out for you. I know the people are working on it at the, for the website. But you're hearing about it here first, folks. And you're getting an early chance. If you contact us at principledpolicy.com, you can request to sit at my table. And first come, first served. Um, I think... Mike from WLRY, Mike O'Reilly from WLRY is going to be at my table. Uh, Mike will have a table at uh, the banquet um, for the radio station. And uh, Mike and his lovely wife, Kelly, will uh, be sitting at my table. Um, Normally, Barry has a table. I don't know about this year. If you want to come and sit at a table where Barry would normally sit which will be really close to me. Maybe I'll have a second table. You can get in contact with us. There's plenty of room. Uh, again, principledpolicy.com or relationships under construction, one word, relationshipsunderconstruction.com. Um, now, there are other things going on. Uh, first of all, I would like everyone to think about being in prayer for uh, the victims of weather. Um around the country. Uh, now, uh, I'm recording this on Friday, uh, January 13th, Friday the 13th. Woohoo. Uh, since we're Christian, we don't really buy into that whole Friday the 13th thing. Um, but, uh, um, who, who knows? We'll see how this program turns out. Um, just kidding folks. Uh, there are a lot of things going on with weather. Now we were about to wash away, but you know what? We can handle that here. Uh, we, uh, are, are a, uh, part of a, a relatively wet part of the country and in the wintertime it rains or snows. And let me tell you something out driving in the rain yesterday. I told my wife and I said, you know, I'm really grateful. And who am I grateful to? I'm grateful to God. I'm really grateful that this is rain and not snow. Because what we would have squeezed out of the clouds as snow would have come down in feet. Not inches, feet. I'm semi-prepared for that. But I would prefer it not happen. Um, God's uh, sovereignty in in weather? Uh, well, you never know. Now, it looks like we're going to be warmer than normal, at least till the end of the month. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, God does. And uh, um, But there are other people in the country who are suffering. And the Pacific Northwest, Northern California, um, now believe it or not, it's... All this rain is doing tremendous damage in California. I, I have business uh, contacts in, in Southern California. They're getting things like uh, a foot of rain over just a few days, which is really unprecedented. It isn't unprecedented. Let's put it this way. It's, this is normally their rainy season, but it's rainier than usual. However... They have, in California, a lot of empty reservoirs or near-empty reservoirs. Um, they rely on the snowpack and the winter rainfall to fill their reservoirs. Well, we've been in a drought 
uh, out west for uh, a number of years. Uh, anyone who's been out uh, who has noticed the crisis or heard about the crisis at Lake Mead in uh, uh, Nevada uh, behind uh, Boulder or behind uh, the uh, uh, the uh, Hoover Dam in uh, uh, knows that the, the lake is down so far they can't even draw water through the uh, hydroelectric um, and that's a bad thing because a huge number of people in the southwest rely on the electrical power and the water held in Lake Mead. Uh, there are um, marinas that are sitting high and dry with the water level. Uh, you have to go out uh, hundreds of feet into what used to be the lake to find water. It has dropped, you know, 50 feet in some places and that kind of thing. Um, that's pretty bad. And there are a number of reasons for that. A lot of it has to do with the weather. A lot of it has to do with mismanagement of the of the resources that they have. A big shock. Um, we are talking about governance today, and that has to do with governance uh, and governments. But... Uh, Again, Lake Mead is now rising. Why is it rising? Because there's so much water in the west. Um, I heard a report yesterday that Lake Mead was up two feet. It doesn't sound like much. If you look at the size of Lake Mead on a map and it's up two feet, it's a tremendous amount of water. I mean a tremendous amount of water. Uh, Mind-bogglingly large uh, amount of water. And... Uh, um, I, uh, California reservoirs, some of them were empty and are now up to 90% capacity. In fact, they may fill to the point where the floodgates have to be opened. And believe me, when you're getting saturated uh, with rain, it's a, a, it's a dangerous, dangerous uh, situation. Because in California, you know, here, uh, when the water comes up, you know, our houses can get inundated and that kind of thing. Out west, when the, uh, um, in, on the west coast, when the, that kind of water comes, well, if you look at how the houses are built very often, and, and not just low-end houses, I mean high-end houses built on stilts out over a hillside, uh, if that hillside gives away uh, and collapses and, and mudslides come, the house rolls down the hill. And that has happened a lot. That they're, uh, you know, they occasionally get uh, earthquakes that do the same thing, sort of uh, rock the foundation of the home, and then the home looks perfectly fine, but it's dangerous to be in because the house could collapse at any time. So it's a different set of calamities out there. Uh, they need the rain, but they don't need the houses to tumble down the side of the hill. So it's it, it's uh, very bad for for the good people of California and the bad people of California, but it's a, it's a, uh, you know, we have to remember that there are, uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's a, uh, that's a common grace and, uh, the rain is falling on them. And, uh, I have a friend in Wyoming and they don't get much, you know, they don't get much precipitation at all. I always joked with him, how much precipitation are you getting a year? And he said, Oh, about six inches. I go, we can get that in a weekend. 
he says, yeah, I know. He he was raised here, so he knows it. But he sent me a picture, and they've got about a foot of snow. And he goes, this is kind of not, doesn't happen very often. So he sends me this thing. He goes, wish you guys were here. And I said, I, w- I would like to be there to visit, um, not to live. Um, but uh, they live in a, in a very beautiful area of Wyoming. But I, I, one thing, uh, prayers for the West Coast. Uh, prayers for the South. Um, um, there is a lot of bad weather. Uh, tornadoes and that kind of thing right now kind of ravaging the south and uh, um, that's again part of the whole the same weather system Uh, you know it hits uh, different these weather systems come in and hit different parts of the country different ways and uh, basically it's it's just really bad right now in the south tornadoes and things um, and, uh, lots and lots and lots of rain. So again, be in prayer for those who are suffering from the weather issues and, uh, um, acknowledge God as the, uh, as the, uh, the master of it all and ask for his intervention in that. Um, and just remember that, uh, God is in control and he has his purposes. So, and we're going to talk about that today. You know, we left off last week. Uh, I want to do a slight review. Uh, one thing I want to, I'm going to reiterate through this whole series, and there will be more than two of these. Uh, one thing I want to reiterate through this whole series um, is that um, there is, are, are five points that we need to remember about how... Uh, uh, if you want to evaluate whether a government is legitimate or not, you have to think about these five points. And I've been reiterating this in my class that I'm teaching at Providence Presbyterian, uh, 7095 Summit Road in Pataskala, and we'd love to have you in there, although I'm about ready to wrap up this this particular class. Um, and now I'm doing it on the radio. One, the five points that I want everyone to remember, and I'll keep bringing it up because I want to remind you of it. There are five marks of a legitimate government, and you have to evaluate the legitimacy of the, the of the government by these five points. The first is sovereignty, and we talked about that last week. Sovereignty. What is sovereignty? It's the legitimacy to rule. Um, You know, Paul talks about that in Romans 13. Um, Is there a legitimacy to rule? And the answer is, if it's a legitimate government, they do. And what do I, you know, I, I may be talking in circles. Has God appointed that ruler? If he's in the job, the answer is yes, uh, generally. But, um... Maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time. It just depends. But um, God is the absolute sovereign, and he's omnipotent over these things. Um, you know, there is a uh, um, there is a proverb. The heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. 
I'm sort of paraphrasing it. I'll read it out of the New King James. The king's heart is in the hand of the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. That says it all, folks. That the king is under the control of God. What does that say when uh, there's a tyrant on the throne? Uh, we'll get into that a little later. There is uh, something you need to think about. But again, uh, that's you know, uh, keep that in mind. So, but sovereignty is the legitimacy to rule. Um, even bad kings God placed on the throne for his specific purposes. Uh, the second point is representation, accountability to the rule of another person or another including God. Um, any king who has sovereignty also has a requirement for representation. He is supposed to represent God to you. He is also supposed to represent you to God. And again, you have to evaluate the legitimacy of a government on that basis. You have to. Uh, the third point is law. And that's a moral co code by which to rule. And that includes limits by law on the magistrate, on the king. All governments follow an ethical code of some description, even if it's just the word of the king. Uh, it could be perverse. It could be righteous. Again, that's a matter of evaluation. But it's one of the things you have to keep in mind and evaluate. The fourth is jurisdiction. What, what are the limits of, his, of a ruler's authority? Where are the boundaries? Um... You have to be able to enforce a law within a given set of boundaries. And the real problem is, um, how do you evaluate that? Well, that's kind of why we're teaching this class, why I'm, I'm doing these, this series. Um, we're doing it because, you know, we have to know where the limits of power are. Um, you know, uh, it... it it seems odd, and we, we explained it last week about, you know, uh, uh, let, let's say the, the sheriff of your county suddenly decides he doesn't like uh, what's going on in, the, in an adjacent county. Can he take all his deputies and go over there and walk into the sheriff's office and say, okay, clear out, I'm, I'm, I'm taking over? Well, no, of course not. Why? He, he's not a resident of that county. He hasn't been uh, elected by, and because that's normally how we get a sheriff. He hasn't been elected by the people that of that. The state government says, no, you can't do that because your jurisdictional authority is contained within the boundaries of your county. You know, we have these, these boundaries for a reason. It's not just arbitrary. They, uh, sometimes the lines seem a little weird. Uh, for instance, Licking County has a couple of odd spots between Perry, Perry County and Licking County near Buckeye Lake because 
the boundary lines are old and they haven't been updated to include. So you've got places that are completely isolated from the rest of Licking County who really should be looked over by Perry. And I'm not sure they haven't repaired that by seeding property or seeding uh, jurisdictional authority and that kind of thing. But that does happen. Uh, rivers can change course and cut off pieces of land and that kind of thing. But those are rare cases. In most cases, you have a jurisdictional boundary of authority. Uh, for instance, the United States just can't step in and decide to run Mexico. Uh, not without creating a, perhaps a war and a regional war or a world war if we just decided to march into Mexico or Canada and say, hey, we're in charge here. You can't do that. Um, we have historical attempts to do those kinds of things uh, to uh, bring. We, we sort of tried twice to sort of force Canada into the Union, and it didn't work out either time. Um, while other things were going on, while, for instance, England was trying to come in and, and assert they wanted to run the United States like a puppet. Uh, the War of 1812, uh, while we were trying to bring Canada, uh, strike a blow um, at England by uh, getting Canada to come over. Canada was, uh, were very happy to remain the Dominion of Canada. Thank you very much. They were a direct part of the empire at the time and not a, a Dominion, which means that uh, they're an independent country with the sovereign King Charles right now as their king. He's on the money, and uh, they consider themselves part of the part of the Dominion, but they're uh, the Commonwealth. But they're they're not actually part of England anymore, and haven't been since the 1860s. So uh, again, that's a jurisdictional change, right there. Uh, and the same thing when we threw off the yoke of Britain in the Revolution, that was a jurisdictional change. Um, and <clears throat> that ha can happen, um, from time to time. We've, we've seen it a lot in the last few years, jurisdictional changes, um, in places where, uh, well, look at Ukraine and the Soviet, and the Soviet Union. There hadn't been a Soviet Union for 20 plus years, uh, and Russia, um, the whole the whole Crimea thing. I have a different take than a lot of people do. You know, uh, Russia went in and annexed Crimea, and blah blah blah. You know, uh, uh, took it away from them. Well, the old Soviet Union assigned Crimea uh, to Ukraine um, in the fifties, nineteen fifties, and so it was never actually part of Ukraine. It it which it was given jurisdiction over that as a, uh, in the fiction of the separate Soviet Republic. Um, uh, we can't go into that too far. Um, but, uh, in any case, uh, the Crimeans essentially didn't want to, or the, uh, um, the Crimeans didn't want to be part of Ukraine. They wanted to be hooked back up with Russia. And the Russians wanted the Ukraine, so they basically there was a vote held, and the uh, Ukrainians made it clear they wanted to go with Russia. So Russia went in and and took the Crimea back. And I, I realize that that's not necessarily how it's been spun, but that's pretty much how it is. Regarding the war now, I don't want to get into that. 
uh, that's beyond the pale. Okay, but jurisdictional changes do happen, but generally jurisdictions are delineated by borders, and not just in civil government. There are borders in family government. There are borders in church government. Uh, these borders are you can't see on a map, but they are there. That's kind of the whole point. Everything has a jurisdictional limit. The last point is continuity or stability of government. Well, what's that have to do with anything? We want to have stable government in all forms of government. We'll get back into the forms. We're going to review the forms here in a couple of minutes, but we need continuity. Lack of continuity, a lack of stability in government means that there is chaos. And that includes all forms of government. Self-government, family government, church government, civil government, all of them need continuity. You need to have to have generational continuity of that government. Does that mean unchanging? It does not. Sometimes to adapt, different things have to have the ability to adapt. That doesn't say anything about the continuity or stability. In fact, adaptation can lead to stability. You know, nobody runs... We still have family governments, and we have to adapt to the current conditions. Church governments have to adapt within the boundaries that God has set to conditions. Civil government has to adapt within ranges, within boundaries, or they they will collapse or be overthrown. So just remember, those are the five points. Sovereignty, representation, law, jurisdiction, and continuity. You have to evaluate everything on that. Okay, the we went through the forms of government. There, there is more than one government. I'm not just talking about civil government. It's easy to slip into that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the three governments we've talked well, really four. We have God's overarching government. God's overarching government never goes away, never changes, always there. God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He can do what he likes, when he likes. And the beauty of that is that we know that God is a consistent God. God has a set of rules. He's laid them out for us. Uh, there we go with that, that legitimacy uh, he, he he has sovereignty. He has representation. He has representatives in every form of government. He has law. He's laid it out. And he's told us when he needs to, which parts of it are still intact and which parts of it have been fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, we have that law, representation, law, jurisdiction, God has set up the boundaries of how everything is supposed to go. And we also have a continuity. Continuity, stability of government. Since God is an unchanging person, we can always count on him to be there, to be the same as he was the last time we consulted him, that his law is unchanging, 
Again, parts of it are fulfilled. That doesn't mean they're changed. That means that Jesus Christ did all the sacrificial things that are required, and therefore it doesn't have to be done again. This is why God considers the revival of the animal sacrifice to be an abomination, because he has sent the perfect sacrifice. Okay, so there we go. We ha we have all these rules. We, we have God's overarching government. That's government number one. The first thing we that developed was self-government, and that is based on the law that God laid down to Adam. He had gave him certain requirements. One of them was to never eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's what was a specific law that he handed down, and that was violated. Now, we talked about what's the next form of government. It's family. And I'm talking in terms of chronological terms because remember that Adam was by himself in the garden with the animals. God said, you need to help me. And he gave Eve. In fact, he created Eve out of Adam so that they would have a permanent connection, a permanent bond to one another. This is why marriage is one man, one woman. But that being said, it also created a new form of government. It created family government. Because all of a sudden, it's not just Adam by himself doing self-governance. And it's not just Eve by herself doing self-governance. It is two people living in a family. So now there has to be another form of government. As time goes along, and the fall, and all, all, all of that, um, God institutes church government. Why? When I say church, you know, you automatically think of a building with a steeple or whatever your church looks like. That's not what it means. Laws for worship. We know there are laws for worship because Cain and Abel bro both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Cain's was rejected. Abel's was accepted. So Cain then did what? He killed Abel. Out of jealousy. Okay. So we've got... Now, four, four governments. We've got self, self-government, family government, church government. And now we've got a new kind of authority that, that has reared its ugly head because of man's inhumanity to man. Cain killed Abel. What kind of government did we get out of that encounter? Well, the government we got out of that encounter, if you recall, God put a mark on Cain and sent him out of the area, sent him, made him leave, and uh, put a mark on him so he could be recognized. And he said, "This this mark will will mark me, and I'll be I'll be killed." And God said, no, I'm putting out 
essentially putting out the word that you were not to be molested, that you were to live out your days with this mark. And that implies another kind of government. And what, what does it imply? It implies a civil government. Because there is now an authority who, who would be protecting Cain. And that's civil authority. Cain is, is under the umbrella of protection for another authority. So we see how those things came in chronological order. God's overarching government, self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. Civil is the last. And what's its job? Its job is to protect life and property. And how do they do that? Well, they, uh, as we find out later in Romans 13, the civil authority bears the sword, and he bears the sword for your good. His job, according to Paul in Romans 13, is to punish evil and reward good. Punish evil and reward good. Real question arises, what happens when the civil magistrate is no longer doing that, but he's now punishing good and rewarding evil. I would invite you to ponder that question while you look at what's going on in civil government right now, not just in the United States, but all over the place, in different states, in different counties, in different jurisdictions inside the civil authority. Because remember, one thing that you're doing with those forms of government, those five forms of government, there are jurisdictional boundaries and authorities, and the, at least in this country, are broken up into, into governable sections. One of the reasons you break up government into localized authority, civil government, and also church government, if you think about it, and family government, but one of the reasons that you break those up, because... You can't govern from a centralized place and have it be effective. When a central authority attempts to accumulate too much power, they become tyrannical necessarily. Why? Because it's impossible to maintain that authority over a spread out jurisdiction without the use of force. It can't be done. It's interesting when you, you think about as jurisdictional authority of a state, of a county, of a township, whatever, wanes, somebody else is uh, gathering power. Remember, we talked about last week the vote for the Speaker of the House. The vote for the Speaker of the House was important because, as I said, too much power has accumulated in the hands of the Speaker. The Speaker essentially had changed the rules to the point, the Speakership, to the point where committees could be bypassed, debates could be bypassed. One of the reasons they they passed this $1.7 trillion budget is because the House was, all the committees at the end were bypassed. There wasn't any debate on the floor. There was no time to read the bill. How do you pass a bill? 
that contains a budget with $1.7 trillion without actually reading it. How do you do that? Well, you do that on the basis that you are bowing down to someone who is all-powerful, has told you everything's fine, don't pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. And basically, the Republicans had to fight their own speaker candidate to get the right to have time to review bills. That's just one of the things. So, as we kind of joked about at the end of the show, yes, we do have a Speaker of the House. It's Kevin McCarthy, as I predicted. But Kevin McCarthy was seriously stripped of a lot of authority that had accumulated in the office. Now, they needed to strip more authority, but the battle was getting a little long in the tooth. And they're taking what they got, and they did get it in writing. They've Now, that hasn't always been a victorious thing in the past. But nonetheless, they reined in the authority of the Speaker of the House. They reestablished jurisdictional boundaries, okay, within that, that particular civil authority. Uh, we'll see how it works out. They uh, got concessions on how people are... Uh, to be uh, dealt with on chairmanships and and that kind of thing. That's good because executive committees in organizations like that, when they've taken too much authority, again, I've been involved in small party politics. Uh, I've seen executive committees come in and just uh, basically steal all the sovereignty of the delegates in a in a convention and say, well, we're not going to let you propose this. We're not going to let you do this and that and another thing. And I've also been involved in a revolt where we said, you can't stop us. So don't. Don't try it. All right. We now have the governments, the types of government. And uh, one thing I want to point out, if you look at an old-time dictionary, take a look at, for instance, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and you look up the word government in it, and those of you who are homeschooling will probably know what I'm talking about because a, a lot of you are you know, in, in, using the 1828. And if you look at the, the Webster's 1828 and look up government, here's what it says. It says government, noun, direction or regulation. And it gives a quote. These precepts will serve for the government of our conduct. That particular phrase can be applied to all of the governments involved except God's. So I'm just going to talk about the four that are ordained by God, not God's overarching from here on out. These precepts will serve for the government of our conduct. This is in the Webster's 1828. Okay, the first definition is control or restraint. Men are apt to neglect the government of their temper and passions. What kind of government are they talking about there in the first definition? Well, all of them, but the example they gave goes back to self-governance, self-government, government. Number two, second definition is the exercise of authority, direction, and restraint exercised 
over the actions of men in communities, societies, or states, the administration of public affairs, according to established constitution, laws, and usages, or by ar arbitrary edicts. And here's an example. Prussia rose to importance under the government of Frederick II. So what government are they talking about there? They're talking about civil authority. But again, it applies to all of them, except maybe self-government, which was handled in the first definition. Interesting that that was the first, the self-governing. Number three, the exercise of authority by a parent or householder. And here's the example. Children are often ruined by a neglect of government in parents. Well, there's family government. Here's the quote that they use in this definition. Let family government be like that of our Heavenly Father, mild, gentle, and affectionate. This is in part of the definition. Okay, here's definition number four. The system of polity in a state that form of fundamental rules and principles by which a nation or state is governed or by which individual members of a body politic are to regulate their social actions. A constitution, either written or unwritten, by which the rights and duties of citizens and public officers are prescribed and defined as, as a monarchical government or republican government. Okay, and then the quote is, Thirteen governments thus founded on the natural authority of the people alone without the pretense of miracle or mystery are a great point gained in favor of the rights of mankind. That's completely about civil government. Number four is completely about civil government. Other, other of the definitions can in some ways be applied to the other. This is about civil government. So we had to get to definition number four, really, to talk specifically about civil government. It's interesting that, that it's put in that rank. Number five, an empire, kingdom, or state, any territory over which the right of sovereignty is extended. There's one of those magic words, sovereignty. Six, the right of governing or administering the laws. The King of England vested the government of Ireland in the Lord Lieutenant, is the quote. Number seven, per, the persons or council which administer the laws of a kingdom or state, executive power. Again, here we are with civil authority, but it's at the bottom of the list. Eight, we're back to more general, manageableness, compliance, obsequiousness. There's also, number nine, a kind of an obsolete term even then, regularity of behavior. It's still in the definition. 10. Management of the limbs or body. You, you do govern your legs and arms and, and you know, head and hearing, and you, you govern all that. 11. In grammar, the influence of a word in regard to construction as when established usage required that one word should cause another to be in a particular case or mode. Okay, well, that's a grammar thing. That would be come under church or family, since education is, is a family responsibility. 
Uh, very interesting to think about. So they're dispersed all through there. I want to read a modern definition and you'll see a vast difference. Here's what Merriam-Webster Dictionary for 2022 defines government. Definition of government, the body of persons that constitutes the governing authority of a political unit or organization, such as the officials compromising the governing body of a political unit and constituting the organization as an active agency. An example gives, the government was slow to react to the crisis. A capitalized, the executive branch of the U.S. federal government. Capitalized, a small group of persons holding simultaneously the principal political executive offices of a nation or other political unit and being responsible for the direction and supervision of public affairs. Administration. Such a group in parliamentary system constituted by the cabinet or by the ministry. The organization machinery or agency through which a political unit exercises authority and performs functions which is usually classified according to the distribution of power within it. Quote, she works for the federal government. The complex of political institutions, laws, and customs through which the function of governing is carried out. The act or process of governing. Specifically, authoritative direction or control. Four. The continuous exercise of authority over and the performance of functions for a political unit. Five, political science studied economics and government, the office authority or function of governing. Now, listen what Marx says, obsolete. This is the modern definition, the term during which a governing official holds office or moral conduct or behavior. You'll notice that the definition of government has changed drastically, drastically in the time between Webster's 1828 dictionary, just under 200 years, and modern day thinking about the word government. What does that mean? Well, there's a reason for that. People don't I have a question I want you to ponder about what, thinking about this whole thing with the, the definitions. Why would a group of elites who control dictionaries, and let's not kid ourselves, they, they don't hire uh, Joe Blow from down at the gas station to come in and work on a dictionary. It is academic elites, linguists, people involved in library science, all kinds of things to talk and to uh, mess with the definition of words. You can see that in modern dictionaries. Uh, you've probably heard uh, things get redefined all the time. Supposedly, it's a, uh, a democratic operation. Uh, they will uh, include words that have come up in common usage that are, don't, sometimes don't make any sense. You know, there's a regular word like woke. You know, he woke up. I woke up. It ha has a useful meaning, but currently that word means in something else entirely. It's someone who is down with and a part of a specific 
uh, political agenda. That's what woke means currently. Now, again, there's also the old use. I woke up, you woke up, she woke up. But why would elites want to change to complete and almost completely, in fact, call it obsoleted, that government has to do with self-control? Well, they want you to think only in terms of civil government. Why? They, the civil government, elitists like the idea that the civil government would control the jurisdiction of the self. Don't worry, we'll tell you what to do. The family, oh, the family's obsolete. Uh, really, the state should raise children. We'll take them from the time they're very tiny, two, three, four. Uh, uh, we, we would take them from the time they're a month old and put them in a daycare center and let, let the government, the uh, civil authority, educate them in the way they should grow up. Uh, church, they would like the church government to go away or to at least uh, be co-opted by the civil authority. And, of course, the civil authority, they wanted the power centralized. Why is this? Well, there's, there are worldviews involved here, folks. There are worldviews involved. There are people who treat centralized authority and in world governance, in national governance, uh, they would like nations to go away. They would like local governments to simply become, become administrative districts. And the same thing with national governments and turn it all into a world governance. I, I, I realize this sounds, oh, don't go into these conspiracy theories. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a saying that Barry and I always go to. And that is, once the conspiracy is proven, it ceases being a theory. It is now a full-blown conspiracy. You know, there's a kind of a meme or a t-shirt I've seen out. Uh, uh, do you have any new conspiracy theories? All mine turned out to be true. That's really what's going on here. We, we have elites who are redefining uh, the phrases, the word government, government, uh, to exclude separate jurisdictional boundaries for self, family, church, and really wipe out a lot of the jurisdictional boundaries of civil authorities. It's a kind of a frightening, a frightening thought. That we would that we would turn all power over to a central authority who then would hand down edicts about how we're supposed to handle all these things. Again, I don't want to sound paranoid, but all you have to do is watch the news. All you have to do, well, I would say read a newspaper. Nobody reads a newspaper anymore. I personally find that to be sad, but I don't read the local newspaper. It's 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 expensive and it's uh, not very good newspapers used to be a place where you could go and read stories in depth lately i've read stories uh, uh, from places that are supposedly premier newspapers that are so devoid of fact and so chock full of opinion that it, it just simply the the lines have been blurred between fact and opinion um you know how do you know i took journalism 
um, not in college, in, in high school. I was the associate editor of the paper, and I, I still remember what I was supposed to find out. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And I read newspapers articles and magazine articles sometimes, and I'm like, were you guys, I mean, did you spend that much time in journalism school and not figure out that those are the questions you got to answer in a story? Uh, apparently the answer is yes. <laughs> That's a dumb question. The answer is yes. They did spend all that time in journalism school and not learn those, those points. But that being said, here, here we are. We now know how to evaluate the legitimacy of a government, and we know how the government is divided. But we need to talk about how those things developed biblically. We really need to delve into the Bible and figure out when the Bible says government, what exactly does it mean? Because that's the place where we need to be going. We need to be in the Bible to understand exactly what it is that God means. Remember that the Bible is the word of God. It's written by him uh, through his representatives by the administrations of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I do, I do believe it. It's not a, a thing where it was automatic writing. The individual men wrote the Bible, but they did it under the administration of the Holy Spirit. That's why there are different voices and yet the same message. Because it's the Holy Spirit as he works through individuals to give us what it is that God decided that we needed to know. And he did want us to know about governance and government. And so he talk to us directly you'd be surprised we're going to talk about some of the passages isaiah 9 psalm 2 daniel 4 first timothy 6 ephesians 5 hebrews 12 romans 13 all these things we're going to go through these things and and talk about what god wanted us to glean from that and again, you may disagree when we get, you know, into that. Fine. We'll be happy to discuss that. Send me a note. Go to principledpolicy.com and contact me. And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about your objection. We'll talk about um, all the things that uh, um, you may, all the points you want to make. And we'll either uh, adopt them or refute them. Um, and I won't embarrass you by saying who you are, and but I will uh, be happy to read your questions on the air and and uh, um, discuss them. All right. Well, we're about out of time. Um, and I, I again, I want to tell you about March tenth, six p.m. Villa Milano. It is the Relationships Under Construction Annual Fundraiser Banquet. I think if you look into us, if you go to relationshipsunderconstruction.com, you will find uh, information on exactly what it is we do. And I think I'll have uh, Catherine Wood, who's the head of uh, Relationships Under Construction, uh, the director, 
I will have her on here for an interview. We'll, we'll do an interview with Catherine. Uh, we'll do a, uh, a, a Zoom interview with her, and we'll ask her some of the questions. Uh, if you have questions for her, send them to me. Uh, principledpolicy.com but go out to relationshipsunderconstruction.com have a look around and also go to principledpolicy.com and look around Uh, that being said uh, you know what we think we want to know what you think www.principledpolicy.com that's principledpolicy.com and join us again next week for another Principles and Policies